you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of Psalms. We're in chapter 140 tonight. And Lord willing, we're going to go through uh, 142. And you know, I was uh, just studying for tonight, going through these Psalms. They're amazing. They really are awesome. And so I know I won't be able to do it justice, but just reading them is, 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 um, is enough. And so hopefully we can come out uh, tonight stronger as we look at these Psalms of David. And we can say many things about David, but one thing's for sure is that David was a warrior. Uh, David won the war. Uh, and I know the Lord is going to teach us through that. Do you guys realize you're in a war? Do you realize that you're soldiers? Uh, the Bible talks about that in Second Timothy chapter 2. And so we need to fight this good fight. And so this is kind of, as we go through these psalms, we're going to see ways that we can do this. Uh, beginning, of course, in prayer, that ultimately the battle will be won as we fight on our knees. Notice what we read here in verse 1, Psalms 140. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. And so you, you see right here that David is praying, right? Deliver me, Lord, uh, he says there. Preserve me from these violent men. Now the psalm itself, it doesn't give us the background, but we know uh, David, uh, probably a couple of instances in his life that this really is applicable. Number one, when he was on the run from Saul, or, or number two, when he was on the run from his son Absalom. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but imagine a gang of guys are out to get you. Uh, I remember one time there was a gang that was after me, and I didn't know if they just wanted to catch me or if they wanted to kill me. I wasn't sure, but it was a group of guys that were after me. Okay, so this is David, and there is, a, there is an army after him. You know, and it's not just the, the physical army. You know, you amplify that with the fact that it's a spiritual army. And so that was, that was what was going on in his life. You know, to me, it's a tragedy when you really look at that whole situation. You guys might remember the story. David in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, he killed Goliath. So amazing, right? So what ends up happening is King Saul invites him into his his army, he makes David his uh, uh, um, armor bearer. And David goes out and he wins these amazing battles for Israel. You know, it, it was just so amazing what God could have done if Saul had not gotten insecure. But you guys remember what happened is uh, the ladies, when, when David came back from the battle, the ladies uh, sang that song that David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands, right? And so Saul heard that, and he's like, you know, got all insecure. And he's like, what's up with that? They're, they're giving the credit to David. And next thing you know, Jonathan, you're not going to have a kingdom. But that was never David's heart. David was a soldier, just like with Moses and Joshua. Moses was a leader. Joshua was right there in the front lines. And so imagine what would have happened if Saul only, you know, kept his eyes on the Lord. Imagine what a great work God could have done in Israel. You know, but what we find is that Saul got insecure and Absalom got prideful. Later on, you're going to see towards the end, you know, how Absalom wanted to usurp the kingdom. And so we don't know the background. All I know is this, that there was a war. There was a war going on. 
And as you're in the war, and you guys are in the war, and the devil's going to come after you, he's going to come after your family. As you're there in the middle of the battle, you have to make sure that you are a man or woman of prayer. And that's what David is doing here. You know, David is, is praying, deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. It says in verse 3, they sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps or, or vipers is under their lips. You know, and, and so the asp, this would be an Egyptian snake. If it bit you, you'd have four minutes to live. It's just a crazy poisonous snake and what we have right here in verse 3 I think is kind of insight into how it all began I mean here you are you're King Saul God's doing a great work and what ends up happening is you get bit by the snake you get poison in your mind the devil starts lying to you Dev David wants the kingdom first the the lie comes from Lucifer but then it begins to come from other guys too. You know, when you read through the scriptures, uh, you, you read 1 Samuel 22.10, and there it talks about a time where Doeg lied to Saul and told him that the, the high priest had inquired of the Lord for David when that was a straight-out lie. But, you know, Saul got wind of it, and he got insecure. What ends up happening? Doeg kills you know, 85 priests and all their families because someone was lying. It was they, they had been bitten by this snake who put poison in their minds. Or, you know, you read uh, the account of David. And it's interesting when David, uh, a couple of times, he could have taken Saul down, but he didn't. One time, you guys remember the story when uh, Saul was asleep and, you know, David saw the camp and David and one of his guys, they went down to the camp. And you guys remember, they got the water jug and his spear. They came back up and they're talking to Saul from the, you know, the mountaintop. And then David says this in 1 Samuel 26, 19. He says, now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. You know, here's Saul. This whole situation could have been so beautiful if only they would have accepted, kind of like what we were talking about on Sunday, our different roles and responsibilities in a, as a church. But Saul started believing the lies of Lucifer, the lies of Doeg, the lies of children of men who started talking and gossiping and slandering and planting and putting poison into the minds of the people. And so as a result of that, you know, they're sharpening their, their tongues like a serpent and the poison of apps is under their lips and people are getting influenced. And so Saul is now coming against David. And so David is praying, Lord, help me through this. Help me through this. Look at verse 4. He's praying, keep me. O Lord, from the hands of the wicked, preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Salah. And whenever you come across the word Salah, it's like the Lord is just saying, that's their way of saying, take a pause and, and think about that for a second. You guys know this, right? That the devil does, hasn't changed his tactics. 
He's been doing it the same way from day one. He's just a liar. And what he tries to do is he tries to poison the minds of the people. You know, he'll tell this young person over there, you have no hope. No hope, no hope, no hope, no hope. And so what does the young person do? Eventually the poison get, it finds a place in their heart. The lie gets lodged within them and they kill themselves. You know, I, I mean, I, I've heard it. I heard things, you know, growing up. You'll never be a man. You'll never make it. I've heard a pastor tell me, you will never make it in Almani. Different things, lies that try to find a way within us. You're not good enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not smart enough. God doesn't love you. And they hear it over and over and over again. And, and what ends up happening is the poison, it, it finds a home in so many hearts. You know, here we see that David is praying, Lord, protect me from that tongue. And Lord, protect me from these traps. And that's what we see in verses 4 and 5, that the enemy has hidden these traps. We can't see them, but sometimes, you know, we think we're slick, but we're not. The enemy is setting you up for a fall. Why? Because you're overconfident. You have to pray, God, you know, protect me from these things, a trap. You know, where the enemy wants you to fall into disobedience. He wants you to bring you to a place of disqualification. He wants you to die. Those are the traps that the enemy sets up. And so David, in verse five, verse 6, he says, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Selah. And, and, I, and I know that we're all in the war, and I don't know if you guys are feeling it. Some of you might be feeling it more than others. Uh, sometimes I think that certain seasons of our life are worse. You know, the devil came and tempted Jesus, and then he left for a more opportune time. Sometimes are just more intense than others. You know, if you find yourself in the middle of that, you can just pray this psalm. That it's just so cool the way that it's all laid out. I, I like what he says there in verse 6, I said to the Lord, and, and I let, we've talked about this before in going through the psalms, you can say, you can say it. You know, you are my God. That, that's what he says. I said to the Lord, you are my God. You know, hear me, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. Cover me, Lord. Notice what he says there in verse 7. Oh, God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Now, so we're, we're in the battle, and I always visualize like the enemy. The Bible talks about how he, how he shoots the fiery darts I visualize him launching the missiles, and his target is our mind. And so we have in Isaiah 59:17, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the Bible talks about the helmet of salvation. And, and what we find right here is the Lord is saying, hey, uh, David's saying, Lord, you have covered my head with that helmet, the helmet of salvation. Um, you're saved if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it cool that you're saved, you're free, you're forgiven, you know that you're one of his children? And then uh, that, that helmet, they say, is not only salvation, 
but it's the assurance of salvation. I know I'm saved. It's not based on my behavior. It's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I needed a savior. Jesus died for me on that cross. He rose again, and I believe in him as my only hope, my righteousness unto salvation. And so you have this helmet uh, of salvation. The Bible calls it that twice. But I also believe, it, looking at the context, that it's a helmet that guards our mind from all those ugly thoughts that we get. All those ugly thoughts. You know, when I, when I think of the helmet, I think of how it's protection on my ugly imagination. And sometimes I wonder if those thoughts are from me or if they're from the enemy. But the enemy just keeps shooting those thoughts, shooting those thoughts, shooting those thoughts, and then just over and over again. You know, and I just, I just pray that you would be protected from them. You don't allow any of those thoughts of the devil to find a home in your mind because if you do, eventually it might enter into your heart and then your history. So, so, so Lord, um, what he's talking about right here is, God, you know, protect me. Thank you that you've covered my head. Verse 8, do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. And, you know, I was thinking about David. Okay, David was on the run, some say maybe 10 years, some say maybe 15 years. Let's just say David prayed one prayer every day in the Jewish calendar that would be 360,000 prayers while he was on the run. I'll bet you he prayed more than once a day because most Jews prayed twice a day. Some prayed three times a day, and I think you guys probably pray more than that. Imagine that, a million prayers. But he never got discouraged, and eventually God you know, gave him that place and God answered the calling upon his life. Right here, he, he's praying these. This is how he's fighting, you guys. Do not grant, O oh Lord, verse 8, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. So maybe that's in the context of Absalom. That's why when I look at this, I think more Absalom than Saul. Because here's Absalom wanting to exalt himself. Saul was already king. Here's somebody who wants to be exalted. And so David, in the middle of that, he didn't come against Absalom. He just prayed. You know, one of the things that you'll find in life is you can't stop people from coming against you. But if you stay blameless, and if you keep your eyes on the Lord, and you maintain your own walk, God will protect you. That's what happened with David. You know, God protected him from Saul. God protected him from Absalom. And so this battle that we're in, I believe we win the war against the tongue or against the traps by, by us going forward and living this life of prayer. Notice in verse 9, as for the, the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they not rise again. Let not a slanderer, let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. And what he's saying right here is interesting. Did you guys notice how he keeps using the word let? Let it happen. Let, 
Let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning, let them be cast in the fire. It's almost as if he's saying, Lord, allow it. Lord, stop protecting them. Lift up your shield of protection. Lord, let it happen. And God did eventually let it happen. Saul was slain. I read today in my devotional reading how Absalom's hair was stuck in the tree. And Joab goes and he strikes him with a spear. And then all the men, they kill him. Here's a guy that thought he was going to be the next king. He thought he could steal it from David and he couldn't. And so I think a lot of it has to do with just David's integrity and David's prayer life. And my heart just goes out to you guys as well. You know, don't ever stop praying. You know, and I was even thinking about how at the end of the day, here's David writing a song. Think about it. These are songs. So, so pray those prayers. As he's talking about the, the burning and the pits and the fire, one person said the burning coals, fire, and deep pits are metaphors for divine judgment. And so I like the way the psalm ends because we're talking about praying. And just as a quick side note, how's your prayer life? Hopefully, you know, uh, we're doing okay. We're seeking the Lord. But as you're ending this prayer, I like the way he ends it with just confidence. And look what he says in verse 12. I know, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. You know, I may be low, and you might find yourself in a very difficult or trying situation. You may be low. You may feel low. But you know, you know that God will save the saved. So beautiful. That's what he's saying right here. That the Lord will protect his people who are persecuted. Lord, I know you will protect me. I pray that you would believe that. That the saved will be saved. That the abused will be used. That there will be purpose for the pain. And the battle, it brings a blessing. That Romans 8.28 is true. God works all things together for good. That Genesis 50.20 still stands. That with the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. I know. I know this. I know that I'm more than a conqueror. You're praying your prayers like that. And it's kind of cool. Most of the Psalms end on a high note. Not all of them. But most of them. And so, of course, we want to pray for other people. You guys, we got to pray for other people. But you also need to pray for yourself. That's what Jesus did in John chapter 17. And so you know, Lord, I know you're going to pull me through this. Now, just in case, look at verse 13 again. He says, surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name and the upright shall dwell in your presence. Now, you might look at that and you might think, well, I'm not very righteous and I'm not very upright. As a matter of fact, I... I kind of blow it, you know, a little bit too much. And, and I'm not making light on sin. But you might look at that and you might think, well, then I don't really have the security that God's going to really answer my prayers, that God's really going to protect me because I'm such a sinner. Well, the, the question is, are, are you saved? Because I think when you look at the upright and I think when you look at the righteous, I think you're looking at those who, who know the Lord. Now, I was listening to a study today by John Corson, and it was such a, a cool analogy. He, well, actually, not even an analogy. 
You know, you're in the Old Testament. You guys remember in the Old Testament how they would bring their animals uh, to the tabernacle or they would bring their, you know, a sacrifice to the temple, right? So imagine you got your little sheep and you're going to the temple or you're going to the tabernacle and then you take it to the priest, the Davidical priest, and they would, there was their job to examine the sacrifice to make sure that there was no blemishes on your lamb, no blemishes on your sacrifice. The priest didn't examine the sinner. The priest examined the sacrifice. And if there were no blemishes on the sacrifice, then when they offered the sacrifice, you're forgiven. Well, the same is true for us. When we come to Christ, you know, it's the, the sacrifice is not us, you know, because we we got so many blemishes. I mean, it's really, you know, a problematic, it's pathetic. But man, the, 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 the sacrifice is Jesus. And it's because of his blood that you are saved. It's because of him that you're upright. It's because of him that you're righteous. That's what the Bible says, that his righteousness has been imputed to our account so that now when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so we can pray, I know, I know God will protect me. And you go through it. You go through the war, you guys. I, I, I don't know, I was talking to my wife on the way in, and to me I was just thinking, okay, we, we know we won the war. You guys know you won the war, but let's win the battles too. Let's win those battles too. How? By, by praying, man, by, by faith, by taking these psalms. I mean, we can even pray them uh, the way that we see them. Psalm 141 is similar, but it has its nuances. Look at verse 1. It's a psalm again of David. He says, Lord, I, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Once again, what's David doing? He's praying, huh? He prays, and he prays like we do. Uh, there, we ask for God to move now. Uh, we look up and speak up and tell God to hurry up. That's kind of what he does right there, huh? Make haste to me, Lord. You know, help me now. I mean, and, and I, that's how we pray. You know, someone's going through a struggle, someone's going through whatever it is, and I'll, I'm, that's how I pray. Lord, heal them. And then the, a day goes by, and they, they don't get healed. And part of you is like, man, I guess my prayer wasn't good enough. I guess I'm not good enough. And, and the, Lord, the Lord says, listen, it's not time, it's timing. We want it to happen now, but you wait on the Lord. David waited 10 years, maybe 15 years. What a great work God did. Imagine if God had taken him out of the trials prematurely, then he would not have been fit to be the king he would eventually be. That's the difference, I think, between Saul and David. Saul, just kind of real quick, he was not ready. But David went through all the trials, and he was trained, not in a castle, but in a cave. And God did that work. And so we're praying, and it's okay to say, Lord, uh, make haste. Uh, please uh, do it now. But at the end of the day, don't be discouraged because it usually takes time. And, and he's saying, Lord, as I pray, let my prayer be set before you as incense. You guys remember when you used to go to church and they had the incense? You guys, Any of you guys? 
I, I kind of like the way it's, it smells, to be honest with you. You know, but that's what the Bible it visualizes or it symbolizes incense. And they would offer incense twice a, a day in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Eventually, it became symbolic for, for prayer. You read it, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and, and verse 8. It talks about, you know, the, the prayers going up as incense. They had these golden bowls full of incense. And then in chapter 6 and verse 10, the, 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 it talks about the people in heaven saying, How long? How long? How long, Lord? You see what's going on, and we know the Lord is coming. And we got to be ready, you guys. You have to be ready because he's coming. We feel that way. We see all the evil going on in the world today. How long? And then eventually what ends up happening is you read Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, where the incense goes up, and then God, man, the whole thing happens, and then boom, he answers prayer. It's an amazing visual there in the book of Revelation. And, that, and that's why don't, don't lose heart. You keep praying, and you watch what God will do. But it's interesting what David prays is pretty cool. Look at verse uh, 3. This is what he prays. He prays, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. And so you're, you're praying, Lord, hurry, help me, hurry, help me. Help you what? help you not say the things you shouldn't say you know because a lot of times we just talk too much and the bible says that we will give an account for every idle word we speak i mean the bible talks about how no man can tame the tongue only god can and that's why it's important that we pray this prayer james chapter 3 verse 8 it tells us that and so what David is praying here in verse 3, said, A guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. He's saying, tame my tongue. And then in verse 4, he's saying, touch my heart, because we know the connection, huh? You know, Luke 6, 45, it says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And you know, I know I failed the Lord many times in this area. But sometimes I talk to people and I think, what an ugly heart. Why would you say that? Where's the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? Where's your love as a, as a brother or a sister? You know, because it all starts with the heart right and sometimes you can see their hearts not right the lord shows you that why by the words that they speak because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks right it just overflows and that's why i always tell you guys you know that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart and that's why god chose david all the other guys look good on the outside david was the only one that looked good on the inside the way the world sees things through those superficial eyes, you know, and the, through their human perception is so radically different than the way that God sees things. 
And David has this heart. It's just so cool until eventually you read in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, that David was a man after God's own heart. And so when we're talking about, you know, Lord, help me to speak the right words. Yeah, Lord, set that guard over my mouth. But Lord, you're going to have to touch my heart. In other words, you're going to have to be real. You guys know that, right? That God looks at the heart. And so that's what he's praying right here. Lord, make haste. Help me to, you know, to say the right things. Touch my tongue. You know, put a, 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 a sometimes I wish like a, a, I could just do where, Lord, only what you say. You know, speak through me. Everything else, put like a padlock there, Lord. Because we blow it so much, huh? And the Bible talks about he who would love life, let him refrain from speaking all these crazy things. How many times have you said something you wish you would have never said and maybe ruins your whole day and it can even ruin much more than that? And so we find, uh, you know, this scripture here. You know, you guys have seen the acronym THINK, right? And I want to go over this with you because maybe some of you haven't seen it. But the acronym, acronym T-H-I-N-K, to think before you speak. And so number one, the T, it stands for is it true? Is it true? Well, I have a hunch. Well, that doesn't mean it's true. You could be lying. You could be lied to. Oh, I just kind of sense or I have a feeling. No, you got to know for sure it's true. And then secondly, the H, is it helpful? Truly, you know, the Bible talks about the words. Uh, they should be building people up, not tearing people down. And then there's that I, is it inspiring? And I thought it was interesting. Would a leader, should a leader say the words you're about to say? Does it inspire people? And then the letter N, is it really necessary what you're going to say? Is it really necessary? And then the K, is it kind? What kind of word is it? And so you think before you speak. The thing that I thought was interesting about this particular image, and one of the reasons I chose it, is because right there, I don't know if you guys can see it from where you're at, but it says third grade thoughts. I mean, these are things that third graders know, or they should know, or they learn, and adults, for whatever reason, don't get it. They don't think before they speak. Why? Why is that? I think it's because they don't fear God. And so right here as David is praying this, make haste, Lord, please hurry, help me. He's talking about his tongue and he's talking about his heart. Now, sometimes it's kind to share things that are difficult. We read in the next verse, in verse 5, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. So how many of you here, you, you want to grow? I'm just curious. You want to grow as a Christian. You, you want to change? Do you want to change? There's different ways. God will do it in so many different ways. God is creative, right? A lot of times it'll be trials. Sometimes it's your prayers. God, change my heart. God, meddle with the middle. Next thing you know, you're in the fire. It started with prayer. Sometimes, however, it's people. People that God will use in your life. 
Right here, he says, let the righteous strike me. Some people, they don't, they don't want even to hear a tough message. They don't want to be challenged in a sermon. All they want is a pat on the back and, you know, come to church, and so I want to feel good when I leave. Why am I walking out all convicted or something, you know? And they want sermons like that, when at the end of the day, what we want just is, Lord, teach me the Bible. And if it's a tough passage, cool. And if I'm convicted by it, praise God. But sometimes the Lord will bring someone into your life that will tell you truths that are difficult. And why? Because God wants to change us, right? Here's a, another opportunity to grow. And he talks about the righteous striking him, how it would be kind and let him rebuke me. And he says, it shall be as, as excellent oil. He says there in verse 5, let my head not refuse it. And so the oil, uh, putting it on the head, so to speak, there would be that anointing. Uh, Expositor's uh, commentary said, a wise person responds to wisdom as an expression of kindness or love and welcomes it like oil. It's a symbol of honor extended to a welcome guest. And so I have a, a word of correction for you. And they're coming with you with that oil and they're about to put it on your head and you turn it away. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to get corrected. I don't want to get stretched. I don't want to get challenged. I don't want to get rebuked. Then you'll never grow. So, he, you know, you welcome it on your head. Not only that, I think when you look at it right here in context, you have to be open-minded to the rebuke. You know, you have to think it through in your mind. If it's a righteous person who strikes you in that way, if someone tells me, something about me that, that, that needs to change that they see in my life, then I think if it's a righteous person, then it needs, a, you know, consideration is my obligation. I'm going to take that to the Lord. I remember uh, Charles Swindoll, he says, when you get criticized, you sift through it. You sift through it. Sometimes it's not true. Sometimes it is. We just have to be honest about this. Because if we are, then I, I know that that will grow. And right here, he says at the end of verse 5, For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. You know, in the context here, he's saying, Lord, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to pray anything that's not right. And so as I'm going in the middle of this whole thing, and that's one of the beautiful things you see about David, man, because Saul was coming after him so aggressively, so hardcore, and David always held to his integrity. He never reciprocated that. He didn't, and it's such a cool thing to see. You know, verse 6, it says, their, their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they... And they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. And so more than likely, the NLT translates this better, and basically says when their judges are judged, then the rest will listen to our words. If not, they too will be judged and not receive a decent burial. So that's probably what, what, what uh, David is saying right there. But I love the way he ends it, you guys. Notice what he says in verse 8. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me 
and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. And, you know, again, uh, we're going to go through life. Have you ever seen a Christian casualty? I've seen it a lot. You know, I don't know, you know how it all ends up. I'm not saying they don't get to heaven. And sometimes I think they enter in by the skin of their teeth, but they're not living that abundant life. And what, what David is saying right here as he's praying these prayers is this is how we win not just the war. This is how we win the battles along the way. This is how we bring glory to God. This is how we reach people. You know, and, and, and as he's going through and he's praying, he's saying, and this is what we do. My eyes are on the Lord. I, I wanted to get a little weird to start the service today. Um, but I was thinking, man, we could all touch our head and say, okay, Lord, touch my head with the helmet of salvation and touch my ears. Um, no lies. I'm not going to listen to no, no lies of the devil. No lies from anyone or the devil himself. Lord, touch my eyes. We see it right here to keep them on you. Touch my lips. Lord, to only speak the words that you say I can speak, nothing more. Touch my heart, Lord. You guys are cool. You guys are doing it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Anyways, seriously, as we give this to the Lord, as we give these things to the Lord, it's a completely different life. The best advice, counsel, direction anyone could ever realize is how we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Right? That's why Hebrews 12, 2, it says, uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And he started it, and he's going to finish it. We just have to keep our eyes on the Lord. That's what he says right here, keeping my eyes on the Lord. You know, when Peter got out of the boat, he was able to walk on water as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, right? But as when he got his eyes off the Lord, when he saw the wind was boisterous, or as the NLT puts it, it says it this way, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. And so imagine you're walking on water, Okay, and, uh, and it, you know, you, you want to look to the right or the left, you know, because you're wondering what's going on. And as you're going through life, you want to figure it out. You want to know more details. You want to get down to the nitty-gritty. You want to find out as much information as you can find out. And God says, no, no, don't, you don't have to investigate. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't have to look to the wind. You don't have to look to the waves. You don't even have to look to the enemy. You don't even have to look to yourself, per se. Remember I tell you guys, if you put your eyes on yourself, you're going to be depressed. Amen? I mean, you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, man. Okay, you get your eyes on the world, and you're going to be distressed. You get your eyes on the Lord, and you're going to be blessed. And that's where we need to keep our eyes. Psalm 121, I love it. Verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm going to lift up my eyes. You know, we don't need to see everything. We don't always know what to do, but we do need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to be honest. 
Are your eyes on Jesus? Or are you looking at someone else and you're thinking, man, they're just pretty jacked up. I can't believe, you know, that they're where they are. Or you're looking at someone else and they're so great, they're so great. Well, eventually you're going to see that they're just a person with all their cracks and all their flaws. You know, you get your eyes on all the different stuff, you guys, and it, it's, it's just we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to thirst after Jesus and only Jesus. And as we do, I know it's a war. I know it's a battle. I know that. I'm experiencing that. But I pray that um, as we're praying and we're remembering all these things, we're giving all these ears and lips and eyes and head and heart and everything to the Lord, our feet so we don't fall, all that kind of stuff, then, um, then we'll win. Um, I heard a story today about a little boy who was thirsty. Just like I'm praying, you're, you're thirsty for Christ. Are you guys thirsty? I hope you are, because um, a lot of times what ends up happening is the world and religion, we kind of get you know, filled with all that stuff, and we're not really thirsty for the Lord. But this little boy, he, he went to bed, and he was thirsty. And so he asked his dad, he called out to Dad, can you give me a glass of water? And uh, the dad said, no, it's time for you to go to sleep. Go to sleep, Mio. The little boy said, Dad, Dad, can you, can you bring me a glass of water? And Dad said, listen, it's past your bedtime. Go to sleep, or you're going to get a spanking. And the little boy said, Dad, on your way to come over here and give me a spanking, can you get me a glass of water? <laughs> That's a little boy who's thirsty, right? And sometimes I think that we're not as thirsty as we should be because we're not willing to suffer. We're not willing to sacrifice. I pray that we would be thirsting after Jesus, after righteousness. Don't let the devil sidetrack you. If there's any sin in your life, my prayer is that you would not play this sin. Let it go. If it's a gray area, let it go. God's a holy God. But the Lord says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And so let's remember that, you guys.